Nehemiah chapter 12 is where we will be this morning. Nehemiah chapter 12. Uh, y'all go ahead and turn there. The wall is built. Revival has begun. And now it's time to dedicate the wall. We don't know exactly how long after the wall was built that it was dedicated. Um, the, the, from what scripture seems to show us, there may have been some, some period of time in there. Uh, but we are now at the dedication this morning. So stand with me as we read from Nehemiah chapter 12. We will read verses 27 to 30, and then we'll carry on through the chapter as we go along. Nehemiah 12, 27 through 30. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azimuth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Pray with me. Father, this morning, just as... Just as your priest and your people and your gates and your wall were all purified, we ask you to use your word to purify us. Give us wisdom to follow you in these your words. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Some things are by their nature very peculiar. You only use them for one purpose because that's really all they're intended for. Think about the plunger in your bathroom. Anybody anybody do double duty on that thing? No? Y'all don't use that for anything else, do you? No, that's a that is an item that has a peculiar use, and that's a good thing. Some things uh, uh, just have one particular use. They're only good for one thing, and so that's all you use them for. But some things are useful for more than just one thing. I have a pot in my house. I call it the Vicks pot. One day... Several years ago, I put Vicks in it, put it on the stove. I had a sinus infection, and my thought was, well, this ought to take care of it, and it and it helped. It really helped a lot. For about a week later, our house smelled like Vicks, and to this day, Carrie will not cook anything in that pot. It is a dedicated pot. We, <laughs> we don't use it for anything now. I don't even know if we still have it anymore. If so, it's in the back of a cabinet somewhere uh, that's probably full of dust and whatever else. But we don't use that pot anymore. Now, I don't imagine why not. I mean, it's been clean since then, right? So, you know, it ought to be okay. But no, no, that's, that's now a dedicated pot. Some things can be dedicated, even though they can have various different uses. They, they become dedicated for one specific thing. This morning, I want us to look at a dedication ceremony. What it might surprise you uh, is that this wall was not exactly a perfect wall. I mean, it only took 52 days to build. Part of the reason for that is that they weren't measuring all the blocks to make sure they were all the perfect size. They weren't smoothing the edges to make this a nice, clean wall. There wasn't quality control to make sure that every single block 
look just right, was the exact color that they needed and the exact size. No, they just found whatever they could find and they put it together and put mortar between them and when there's a big hole, find a little rock to stick in there. Just do whatever you got to do to get this wall up. So it may not have been the prettiest wall ever built, but it was effective. It was quick to build and it would do the job. And that's all that really mattered. But now with this wall being built, we find its dedication, but it's not just the dedication of a wall. In fact, look at verse 30. This kind of surprised me when I saw this. And the priest and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Do you notice that? Purification. That's a spiritual ritual. That's a, that's a religious thing. That's not something you do normally. I mean, if you, we, um, we got some yard work done not too long ago, several months ago. Um, we got some yard work done. We didn't go purify the yard afterwards. You don't just do this on a normal everyday occasion. You might sanitize stuff. You might clean stuff. You might make things uh, not gross anymore. But we don't, we don't ritually purify things. And yet here they are purifying a wall. What's going on here? Isn't this a physical wall? This really doesn't have anything to do with spiritual things, does it? That's where I think we have a misunderstanding. So I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. I'm going to ask you to become a, fourth, a fifth century BC Israelite for a minute, okay? All right? So get out of 21st century thinking, because in our thinking, the physical and the spiritual realms do not overlap. It's like they're two totally separate things. They may as well be in different galaxies. They don't touch, they don't interact, they have nothing to do with each other. Every now and then, God might do a miracle and work something spiritual and physical at the same time. But it has to be like some kind of miraculous work of God for them to interact with each other. But that's just simply not true. I'll give you an example of this. Have you ever been so nervous you got sick to your stomach? Oh, now, now we kind of understand what's going on here. The spiritual and the physical things are not totally separate. They're not, you stay over there and you stay over there. It's not something that we switch. Oh, well, this is my physical job. This is what I do for a living. All right, now let me take that off and let me put on the spiritual and, and go church. It's not like that. The physical and the spiritual are constantly interacting with each other. Constantly. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sweating drops of blood. Is he doing that just because of the physical stress? I, I would argue no. There's a whole lot more than just physical going on there, isn't there? You see, the physical and the spiritual relate with one another. They interact with one another. One affects the other. That's why, that's why we have such a wrong understanding because we try to divide these things up and pretend like they're mutually exclusive, like you can't have one if you've got the other. But the fact of the matter is, in their view, they saw the connection between the physical wall and the spiritual reality. And so what they're doing is they're going through and purifying. Now, the way you would purify something might involve washing it but it almost certainly would have involved anointing it. So before the priest ever took a single offering before God, he would be anointed first. The king, before he made one edict, before he, before he had done one action as king, he would be anointed first. In fact, 
If you go back in 1 Samuel, you can see men like Saul and David. And later you can see Solomon, all anointed as king before they ever do anything. Samuel, or Saul, excuse me, is anointed as king. He doesn't even believe he can be king. And neither does anybody else. He gets anointed. The next chapter, they go to, to choose a king for themselves and, and the lot, they, they cast lots and the lot comes up on Saul. And you know where they find Saul? Hiding in the baggage. He's in a storage closet somewhere trying to hide. That's where they find him. What a mighty king. Well, turns out he was somewhat good, somewhat bad. David is anointed king. You know how long it takes him to become king? It takes him a full seven years after that anointing. Seven years of running away for his life. Seven years of hiding in caves. Seven years of just trying to find food to survive. That's the king. Anointed long before he could ever take the throne. You would anoint a king before he serves as king. You would anoint a priest before he serves God in the temple. You would anoint every item in that temple, every item in the tabernacle was anointed for service to God. So now when they're purifying this wall, one of the things that they're doing, you'll see later in this chapter, there's, there's these two groups, these two choirs. And walking along with these choirs, as part of the choirs, are some Levitical priests and I imagine they are taking the oil and they are anointing the wall as they go along. Walking along this wall on top of it. it would have been about nine feet wide. Some of the areas that we have excavations of show it to be nine feet wide. That's probably about how wide the wall was in most places. So they're walking along this wall and priests are like sprinkling oil and, and some of the singers are singing praises to God as they're, as they're making the circuit around the wall, all meeting up in the temple to praise God there. I can imagine the following of Israelites that are gathering along the way. And as they're doing this, they are, they are, they are setting apart this wall for a spiritual purpose. It's not just a physical wall. Yes, it is a physical wall. It's more than that. They need God's spirit on that wall to empower it to do what it's supposed to do. Look, you want to you see what happens to city walls? Just go rebel against Assyria or Babylon or Persia and watch your wall get destroyed. Walls can be overcome. They didn't just need a physical protection. They needed God's presence over the city. They recognize that. They recognize this isn't just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So at the dedication of the wall, they bring Levites from all around. Verse 27 tells us they seek the Levites in all their places. If you read earlier in the chapter, you'll see Levites were building towns all over the place. The towns that they name, some of them are to the south, some of them are to the north, some of them are further away, some of them are closer by. The Levites are just scattered around. So they bring all of the Levites to Jerusalem, to the city, from everywhere that they are, in order to celebrate this dedication. Can you picture it? The Levites in all their different families and all their different cities. Talk's starting to get around. Hey, we're going we're gonna to meet in Jerusalem to dedicate the wall. I can picture some families getting excited about going. You know, Some little kids are like, I want to go. Can I go with you? Can I, can I go, please? When are we going? Is it today? Is it today? Do we get to go today? No, it's not today. No, it's, it's, it's still in a couple weeks. Oh, man. I can picture the kids getting excited. 
I can picture them ready to go, waking up early that morning, ready to go on this journey to Jerusalem to do this work. Some are priests, some are musicians, singers. They call the Levites in. Why? For worship, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. This was a party. Now, let me ask you this. You have, as a people, overcome immense odds to build a wall in 52 days to protect the city. A wall that, from the look of it, would have taken months, if not years, to fix up. Are you a little bit excited about this day? Are you a little bit happy to see this day finally come? Does it lift your spirits to see that you've done some work for God and it's been successful? It's okay, y'all can smile. Think about it. This would have been a joyful occasion, not just because they have to muster the joy. The joy would have been overflowing. This was a great morale boost for this people. Nehemiah, uh, uh, and this, this is just the beginning, uh, verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed them great choir, two, appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Several times in this chapter, the choirs are mentioned always with this idea of thanksgiving. We celebrate it with thanksgiving. So I put some choirs to give thanks. And as the choirs go around, they give thanks. One choir goes toward the south, and they're giving thanks. One choir goes toward the north, and they're giving thanks. Nehemiah goes with one group. He goes with the group that goes north. Ezra heads up the group that goes south. And what they're doing is they're making a circuit around the city, singing praises to God. Some of the priests are anointing the wall. People are gathering around, probably singing with them. I can picture a back and forth where they're singing a line and the people sing right after them. Back and forth it goes. You know that, that, that song, Hail Jesus, you're my king. You know, I can picture them doing something like that back and forth as they're walking along. There's all kinds of great music, all kinds of things. It tells us at the end of this chapter that the, the sounds of Jerusalem, the joy of Jerusalem was heard a far way away because they're singing so loudly. They're so joyful that the noise just reverberates through the valley. And over in Ono, where they were planning to kill Nehemiah, they're hearing the praise of Jerusalem. Over in Beth Horon, the house of Sanballat, they're hearing praise of Jerusalem. I imagine across the Jordan River, they're getting faint sounds of the joy of Jerusalem. Geshem the Arab, among his peoples, hearing the joy of Jerusalem that day. Tobiah the Ammonite, they're hearing Jerusalem, singing with praise to their God that day. So both choirs, verse 40, who gave, uh, of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. They make their circuit all the way around the wall and they meet in the temple in the far north. Everybody meets together and they meet there to sing. The singers are singing. They've got one guy that's heading up this massive choir and he is just going. And I don't know if you've seen some choir directors. Some choir directors stand there like bumps on log. Some of them are just like expressive and great. And they're like, oh, yeah. And that's, that's what Jezreiah is doing. He is just, he is getting into it. And the choir is, is, is one of those gospel choirs that can't stand still. They're over there. They're clapping their hands and they're, they're back and forth and they're doing all kinds of stuff because they're full of joy. This isn't everybody standing still looking like you gave them all paralyzing drugs or something. This is, this is joyful celebration of God's work among his people. Yeah. 
So we have this dedication with this great joy. Verse 42, names some names, and then it says the singer sang with Jezrehiah as their leader. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You couldn't get around it. You couldn't get away from it. Everywhere you went, you could hear the sounds of joy. As wonderful the dedication as this may have been, I, I noticed something else. I took you through the scene. Let me take you back to the beginning of the scene. Look back at verse 30 again. I want you to notice, at the end of verse 30, they purified the gates and the wall. But what did they do before that? Before they even put a drop of oil on that wall, before they sang one song of praise for the work that had been done, notice what happens first. The priests and Levites purified what? Themselves. Because if they're going to do this, they need to be clean. And then they purified the people. The wall is the last thing on the list. The dedication of the wall was an afterthought. If, you're, if your Bible has as a heading, like section headings, if your Bible has section headings, it probably says the dedication of the wall. Just ignore of the wall. Because this isn't about dedicating a wall. Though great and wonderful as the scene must have been, this scene is not just a dedication of the wall. It's a dedication of the people. It would be... It, Nehemiah is making a point here. First, we dedicated ourselves. Then we dedicated our work. And that gets us to the back of your bulletin. Those blank spaces, you cannot dedicate your work to God until you dedicate yourself to God. You cannot dedicate the things that you're doing, the works that you're performing, even if they're for God, even if they're good works, even if they are wonderful things, you cannot say those are for God's glory. Those are for him. I am doing this only for him if you yourself are not dedicated first. If you are going to dedicate your work, you must first begin with you. Once you are dedicated, then your work will be dedicated. Even though it was God's work from the outset, this people realized their physical work would not be blessed by God without them being pure. The work is only acceptable when the worker is both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this play out. In the Old Testament, it's through that word for holy. The word for holy is kadosh. Kadosh means set apart. So every, uh, 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 so the priest, the high priest, part of his uniform, part of what he would wear to perform his high priestly duties, there was a band across the turban, golden band, and in it was etched the words kadosh, I don't know, holy to the Lord. A reminder that he was specifically dedicated in a special way to God's service. Every single one of the priests was dedicated to God's service. Every single Levite was dedicated to God's service. Every single Israelite was to be dedicated to God's service. But that right there, that one individual in a peculiar way was absolutely dedicated to the Lord. When he was serving his high priestly role, he was to be fully dedicated. I seem to remember something in the Bible about us being priests. You are a chosen race of royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. 
I, I almost wish we had a uniform in church so I could make us all wear a band across our heads that said, Kadosh Ladonai, holy to the Lord, to remind ourselves that we are, just as the high priest was, we are set apart for him. You see it in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then right after that, as though that's just a little step on the ladder, just to get up to this step, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Love Him with everything, love Him with everything else, and anything that's left, love Him with that too. Every single bit of you. This isn't, this isn't sectioning off the man into three different parts. This is looking at the man from three different perspectives. All of your heart. Everything that drives you, every motivation, every passion, every logical reasoning that you do, dedicated to God, your soul, every life within you, not just what you do, but who you are, dedicated to the Lord, all your might. That word can mean two things. It can mean physical strength. It can also mean to a greater degree. Love him with all of your exceedingly, not just not just what you do, but how you do it. Not just what you do, but who you are. Not just what you think, but how you think. And these words, oh, oh, and that, that, that results in the work that you do. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, everything that you do ought to be reflecting the love for God. Because you are to love Him with everything, so everything that comes out of you, every word that you speak, every action that you accomplish, every thought that you think, all of it should be taken captive into Christ Jesus. Every single bit of it dedicated to God. You see the sequence? First be dedicated, then dedicate the work. Do the work out of that fully devoted love. You know, without devotion, I'll show you what, what it looks like. If you're doing the works without the devotion to God. Malachi chapter 1 verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? What they were doing is they were taking the stuff they didn't want. Like we would give it to goodwill. They were giving it to God. The blind, the lame. He was supposed to get the first fruits. He was supposed to get the best. He's supposed to get the stuff without spot or blemish. And instead, they're giving him the worst possible things they can find. Present that to your governor, he says. Will he accept you or show you favor? You won't even give that in taxes. And you're going to give that to me? Verse 9, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? And then as if to make the point really stick. Oh, that one of you, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. Just just shut the doors. That you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. See, what you've been doing is all a crock. I just wish one of you would lock the doors up and, and y'all just go home. Don't even bother with this anymore. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. That's what it looks like when the works are not coming from a devoted person. When the person isn't dedicated, that's the best we can offer God. Isaiah, God says, bring no more vain offerings. 
Incense is an abomination to me. Even the things that he commands us to do repulse God and make him sick when we're not dedicated to him. For God, it's not about the work you do. It's about doing the work with the heart for him. Otherwise, it does just make him sick. He doesn't just want your efforts. Though, though obedience is important, to obey is better than sacrifice. But from the wrong heart, even obedience doesn't matter. Paul knew this when he wrote in the New Testament. He wrote almost half of the New Testament books, and he recognized this. And in Paul's day, he had a little bit of a problem. You see, the Jews, the Hebrews had this word, kadosh. They kind of had that idea of being set apart had one that was not only just someone who was peculiarly focused, but but one who was holy to God, one who was pure before God. They had that idea. But Paul is speaking to Greek speakers, and they don't really have that idea. There's not really one word that helps encapsulate that. So what he does is he gets the closest word that he possibly can. It was a word, hagios. Hagios was the, was the pagan priest now, so you, you've got all these gods and all these different gods are worshipped by all these different people. Almost everybody is polytheistic and worshipping multiple gods because if you, met, if you mess up on any of them, they could destroy you, okay? That, that's, that, that's that mindset in the, Greek, in the Greco-Roman world. You miss one god, they get angry at you, it's big trouble. So you got to make sure you're covering all your bases just to make sure, though, just to make sure that every god was covered and was covered with enough devotion, they would take a hagios, a priest, who was only dedicated to worshiping that one god. Now, these are all liturgy gods. These aren't even real gods. These are just, just the, the concept of gods that, that they, they just didn't understand the one true God. They didn't know the one true God, so they're, ch- they're finding gods everywhere they possibly can because you got to worship something. Even in a world that tells you, that, uh, a secular world that tells you that religion has no place in the public sphere, they are worshiping something. Maybe it's themselves. Maybe they're worshiping some kind of idea. Maybe they're worshiping science. Not, not actual science, but just what passes off as science. Whatever they're worshiping, they're worshiping something. Something has the place of God in their hearts. See, that Hagios, he was dedicated to that one God. He didn't worship any other. So that's where Paul gets. And Paul just infuses it with that idea of holiness too. So whenever you see the word saints, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he's writing this letter to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. What he's saying is you have been called to be unique, dedicated to the one true God. You're you're not to be buckshot all over the place. You are to be laser focused on one. This is why he says in Romans chapter 13, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Laser focus. Why? Dedicate. Dedicate yourself to him. And that's the means of our identity. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 say, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but also in my absence, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. 
And recognize this isn't just a work that we do. This isn't something that we muster up the ability to, to follow God completely. This is something that God works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's why the dedication of the wall isn't just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing, because this isn't just a physical work. Because the people is devoted to God, the work that they do will carry the blessings of God and be empowered by God to fulfill his purpose. Remember where this all started. Nehemiah first heard about Jerusalem and the plight they were in. What does he immediately do? I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You know what he does first? He dedicates himself. There's no plan at this point. Maybe over time, God is opening his eyes to what he needs to do. But at this point, it's just Nehemiah being devoted to God. This formula always works, by the way. When we turn from God in sin, we face the consequences of our sin. But when we turn back to him, when we repent, when we weep and mourn and fast and pray, when we dedicate ourselves to God, we find him willing to forgive. Some of you might see yourself as working diligently for God. You, you're in church every time that you possibly can be there. You're giving money. You're doing work. You're, you're inviting folks. You're doing whatever it might be. You're, you're, doing, you're, you're volunteering your time to some noble cause. But deep down you know that all your work is for naught because God doesn't have your heart. You might say you dedicate your efforts to God, but you're not dedicated to him. You've not set yourself aside from, from him. You've turned away and you're against God. You're, you're not dedicated to him. Today's a good day to change that. God's calling you today to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ. For some of you, though, children of God, you, you've dedicated your heart to Christ. Maybe you've been fighting his dominion. Might be finances. You're not giving what he wants you to give because you're spending it first. You're not making him the priority, and so there's just not enough left. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, you've, maybe you're so infatuated with a certain person that they can do no wrong in your eyes, and, and, and all of your faith, all of your hope is bound up in them. They might be great. They're not that great. It might be how you spend your spare time. Maybe you're binge-watching shows, staring at a device, rather than spending the time you know you need to spend with God. Hey, I had to delete Facebook for that reason. Okay? Look, right here. It happens here. Maybe it's, maybe it's you're giving God leftovers. When I have time at the end of the day, and before you know it, five minutes in, you're sleeping because you're so tired. And, you, you, and you've, just, you've just spent the whole day doing whatever. Some of it may have been good stuff, but without God... He's just getting leftovers. He's not really getting your life. He's not getting your best. Maybe it's just only those times I can't sleep. Only those times when I got nothing better to do. If that's you, it's time to surrender everything. Dedication means fully and exclusively being devoted to Christ. Nothing less will do. I mean, after all, we call him Lord. You know what Lord means? Overseer, right? General guidance. Right? It means master. Whatever you've been giving your focus, whatever you've been giving your love, whatever you've been giving your dedication to, it's time to surrender that to God. Father, I pray this morning we would be dedicated to you. 
you know exactly where we need more. You know exactly what we've been keeping from you. You know exactly uh, where we need to be convicted, where that sore spot that your finger needs to go to say, hey, this, this needs to be dealt with. You know exactly where to apply the medicine. Father, Father, you put that on our hearts. You do what you want to do. You lead us. You guide us. You show us where we are not dedicated to you. Father, help us to surrender. May this song be true. Not just words on a page, but may we be living proof that we are surrendering everything to you. You work in us as you will. In Jesus' name.